Welcome to the Mustang UMC podcast recorded each Sunday morning during our 8.30 and 10.50 a.m. services. We invite you to join us in praise and worship during that time, and our hope is that this podcast serves as an encouragement for you and for your family in your daily life. Amen. And we do come to the time in our service in which we hear the word of God read. For those who are able, we invite you to remain standing as we honor and receive the word of God among us. We have two scriptures today. The first will be Luke 23, 39 through 43. And then I'll be reading from John chapter 11, verses 25 through 26. Let's give our attention to the reading of God's holy word. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed, So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested, don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you today you will be with me in paradise. And then moving on to John chapter 11, Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You all may be seated. Let us pray. So Lord, we do pray for your spirit, your kindness, your presence. Lord, however we walked in, wherever we are now, we just pray that your goodness and your mercy and your truth and your clarity would be upon us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It was a Tuesday. I went on as if it was a normal Tuesday. I drank my coffee, I ate my breakfast, I went to work, I pretended as everything was okay, but of course it wasn't. You probably had Tuesdays like that or Fridays like that. Everything, you try to just pretend that everything is okay, but because of something that happened the previous day, you cannot move on, but you have to. Because one thing that we know is that death and life are both relentless. They just keep coming at us. The obituaries never stop. The grass continues to grow. Death and life are both relentless. And when you've experienced death, you want the world to pause for a little bit. But the world does not pause. It just keeps coming wave after wave after wave. Death and life relentless on us. Some of you have lost somebody dear to you. I remember talking to a woman one time who lost her husband when she was in her 40s. She never imagined that when she said, I do, she would be saying, I do, to being a widow in her 40s. And what she told me is she said, she said, Aaron, everybody else moves on, but you cannot move on. This is what happens when we experience death is that it just stops us. But the treadmill keeps going, and and I am talking about physical death, but also there's things that die, that death is the ending of something meaningful. When something meaningful in our life dies, 
it stops us, but the world just keeps on spinning. When it is uh, the death of a loved one, it can be particularly painful. I remember hearing an 80-year-old one time give a, a sermon, and in the sermon, he had recently lost his spouse of over 60 years. And, and I can't imagine what that would be like. But he, he, he used this phrase, and I, I've shared it with people, including some people in this room. He said, how do I walk when half of me is gone? How do I walk when half of me is gone? How do I keep going on to the next day? And when you've experienced a loss of a loved one, of somebody that, that has been a part of your day-to-day -day life, it can just get you. All of a sudden, you find yourself grieving for no reason whatsoever, but something triggered a memory. Or something happens and you reach down in your, for your phone because you want to text them the news or you want to call them. Or maybe you just call their phone number or you have an old voicemail so you get to hear their voice again. The loss of a loved one can be so, so difficult. Whether it's tragic or expected, that grief is real. And one of the things that I see as a pastor and one of the things that the Lord laid on my heart today for our, this Easter sermon and this Easter service is that there are people who this will be their last Easter on earth. This, there are people who are gathered here in this room who are watching, who will be gathering at our Easter tables, who will not be here next year. Life and death are relentless. And in fact, there are probably some of you who when you go to your Easter lunch or your Easter dinner later on, you're going to look around and it's going to feel like Somebody who should be there is not there. And in the midst of celebration, you'll find yourself grieving. Of course, as I said, death is not just the loss of life, but it's the loss of something that has been meaningful. And sometimes those can be good things. In a few weeks, we're going to be celebrating Senior Sunday, and we'll be celebrating our seniors who are graduating. And there is a celebration. This is a part of life that they will graduate from high school and move on to what is next. And uh, move out of the house, hopefully, for some of our parents as well, right? But that's the ending of something. It's a good ending, but it can be a painful ending. And sometimes those kids come back, right? And then there's another ending of peace, right? But some of these good endings happen. Maybe you get a new dream job, but you have to leave your old one behind. You move into a new house and you miss the familiarity of your old house. I think about champion, I think about playing sports in high school and how your season built up all the way to that last game, which never was the last game of the season for me um, because there was always games that other teams got to play after that. But my last game, whenever it was, all of a sudden you invested all this time and energy and effort and then it's over. And even though it was wonderful, it ends in a painful way. So sometimes death can be good endings, but they're still painful. Of course, sometimes death can be painful and terrible endings. You sign the paper, and that means that your marriage is officially over. You walk out of the office with a box with all of your things because you do not have your job. You go to the doctor and the doctor tells you a diagnosis that you were not ready to hear and all of a sudden the life that you imagined living for the next 20 years is different because of the news you got today 
and your dreams died. You move away, a friendship ends, you're left grieving, and yet it's still Tuesday. And the relentlessness of life continues. Sometimes our death is a sense or a feeling we get. Maybe we felt secure, but somebody broke into our house and we don't feel secure anymore. Maybe we were a very trusting person, but somebody betrayed our trust and all of a sudden we cannot trust in the same way anymore. Death has stopped us in our tracks, but life keeps going. The grass grows. Kids cannot get ready and get out of the house without you. Dinner still needs to be prepared. Life moves on, but you cannot. And we live in this tension of the waves of life and the waves of death seeking to overwhelm us. And sometimes that's how life feels, right? It just feels overwhelming. You just want it to stop. You just want to be able to catch your breath, but the waves, they keep on coming and they keep on hitting and hitting and hitting and you cry out to God like it feels like life and death have gained up on you to make you miserable and you say, Jesus, where are you? If you were good, you would have come earlier. We talk about you on Sunday morning, I go to Sunday school, I do these things, but yet in the time I need you most, I feel so overwhelmed with life and death. And if you've ever felt that way or if you feel that way today, you are in good company because I want to tell you the story of some people who had the audacity to tell Jesus, where are you? It's a story of Mary and Martha, two sisters, and their brother Lazarus. Now, Lazarus is a friend of Jesus, and he was somebody that, that Jesus had cared about, and Lazarus got sick. Now, Mary and Martha, they called out and they said, Jesus, would you, would you please come and save Lazarus? But Jesus doesn't come. In fact, he doesn't come until a couple of days later does he begin his journey. And by the time he gets there, Lazarus has been dead for four days. What good are you now, Jesus? Have you ever been there? Have you ever been on your knees crying out, Jesus, would you come? Come on, I need you right now. And it feels like Jesus is not in a hurry. If he would just move and save, then we would be in good shape. But he's not moving, he's staying. And by the time we look around and we see him, we think, well, it's too late. Where have you been? In fact, when Jesus arrives, Martha tells him these words, if you had been here, Lord, my brother would not have died. You've probably said those words, haven't you? If you had been here, Lord, my son would not have died. If you had been here, Lord, the cancer would not be in my body. If you had been here, Lord, my divorce would not be finalized. If you had been here, Lord, my kids and I would get along. If you had been here, Lord. Jesus doesn't rebuke her. Instead, he comforts her. And he asks for Mary now Mary comes to him, and Mary says the exact same words. If you had been here, Lord. Again, Jesus doesn't rebuke her. Jesus embraces her and embraces the death of Lazarus, his friend. It's interesting what Jesus does when confronted with death. 
Because most of us do not like to think about death. We don't especially like to think about our own death or the death of a loved one. We try to avoid death. But what I see in the scriptures and what I see in this story with Lazarus and what I see in Jesus' own story of his own death is that he actually embraces death. Now, whenever, you, um, whenever we talk about grief, oftentimes we'll talk about the five stages of grief. Denial, we don't want to believe it, we're in shock. And then there's anger. Sometimes we can stay in this stage for a while of being angry with God, of being angry with the world. Bargaining, we try to make a deal with whoever to try to get this grief to end. Then there's a stage of depression followed by acceptance. But I wonder if we can learn about how to embrace grief by seeing how Jesus embraces death. Now, the, And so as we go through this story in John chapter 11, we're going to see how Jesus faced death head on. Now, the first thing that he did is he embraced grace, is that he embraced this idea that, that there was something that was already present going on. He, he tells them, I am the resurrection and the life. He gives them the promise that your brother will rise again, but he also gives them the goodness of his presence. That anytime there is loss, it only matters because something mattered. If, if somebody passes away who you've never heard of, it does not impact you. But when somebody who you love leaves you or dies, it impacts you because that existed. And so at the beginning of embracing death means that we embrace grace, especially the grace that Jesus is with us in the midst of it. This is the good news, is that we never go through any grief or death without God in the middle of it. And so whenever we face death, we face the grace and the goodness that comes from not being alone in this world. Now the story goes on and Jesus says, I want to go to the tomb where Lazarus is, to go to the cemetery, to go see, to go pay my respects is often what we think. And what happens is, is that when he gets there and Mary is weeping, it says, Jesus wept. It's the shortest scripture in our whole Bible, Jesus wept. But it's one of the most profound ones because it tells us that in the process of death, Jesus embraces lament. While you and I, we try to avoid crying, while you and I try to avoid crying out to God, while often we try to hold our tears, Jesus weeps openly. Even though he knows what he's about to do, in this moment of death, he embraces lament that death is a part of life and death is terrible. A friend of mine buried his mother on Monday. On Tuesday, I texted to check on how he was doing, how everything went the day before. You know, sometimes that, that day after the funeral is when, when everything waves and waves come on at us because we finally got all the details done. Death is a terrible thing. One of the things that happens when somebody dies is there's all these decisions that loved ones have to make that they don't want to make. What kind of casket? What kind of headstone? When do you want the service to be? How many people are going to come for lunch? What songs do you want at your service? Do you want an obituary? If so, where do you want it? How much 
Are you willing to spend all these decisions in the context of death that can be overwhelming? And so the day after the funeral may be the first time that somebody sits and grieves and laments. And so I was asking my friend how he was doing the day after the funeral. And this is a person who I know knows God, who I know knows death, and who I know knows that he's supposed to lament. And he told me, he said, Aaron, I was holding it together. Have you ever done that before? I was holding it together. I felt it well up right here, and then it kept going. I felt it right here. And then he said, until this lady hugged me, and I couldn't stop it anymore. I remember when my grandmother died. She, um, she died during Holy Week. We had her service on Holy Saturday. This was years ago, and, and I had actually preached a Good Friday service and then um, left after the Good Friday service, Heather and I did, and we went up to Wichita, Kansas. As a, as a family, we, we were singing a, a song. It's called Untitled Hymn by Chris Rice, and, and I, we, I just went from one thing to another. Again, sometimes this is what happens with death, is you just go from one thing to another, and here I am. I'm supposed to be the, the strong one. And so this whole time, I had been busy being busy, doing good things, but being busy. And so the time of the service comes, and I'm, I'm up here, and uh, some of us, uh, there's me and my cousin Jordan who are playing the guitar. There's about five or six of us who are singing. And in the middle of the song, all of a sudden, this weird thought goes through my head. Aaron, this is your grandmother's service. You need to feel this. Now, that's not what I wanted to do. But yet that's what I did. And so there is a a line in the song. It says, dance for Jesus, dance for Jesus, dance for Jesus and live. And I had the extraordinary, just very odd thought of my grandmother dancing. My grandmother, I had never, ever seen her dance, let alone imagined her dance. And so I'm playing and I'm singing and I'm laughing in my head. You know, laughter is the quickest gateway to tears, right? And so, and that's why when I, when we do these times when our families gather, we should laugh and we should cry. And so then we, we sing our final verse. It says, and with your final heartbeat, kiss the world goodbye. Then go in peace and laugh on glory's side and fly to Jesus, fly to Jesus, fly to Jesus and live and I said those words now, but I could not sing them in that moment. I, the, the tears welled up in my eyes, the, the, it caught in my throat, and I'm just barely trying to finish strumming whatever notes I'm supposed to be strumming. And I put the guitar down and make my way to my seat, trying to hold it together, but it was pointless. And so in the midst of that service, I started to cry and weep. I ain't a quiet weeper. And I'm just, you know, and then you get self-conscious, right? Like, all oh, these people are looking at me. I don't want anybody else to cry, right? But no. Embrace it. Lament. If Jesus is tough enough to cry, so are you. If Jesus is vulnerable enough to cry, so can you be. And then we have to embrace lament in the face of death. Jesus weeps. 
But he continues to go on with the story because he embraces need. As he stands out there after he weeps, he tells somebody that that the stone needs to be rolled away, to take away the stone. That Jesus wasn't going to do it all himself is that he invited that we have a need. And in the midst of death, we need to open ourselves to the gifts that other people have, that we have needs. And so if somebody comes and as you're experiencing a death or a loss or a grief and they want to mow your lawn, let them. If they want to bring casseroles, let them. If they want to sit and just be, let them because we have needs. So often we try to be the tough ones. But Jesus said, I need help. Somebody roll the stone away. And as we grieve and as we experience death, Jesus also embraced trust. It says, then Jesus looked up. He knew where his help comes from. He looked up to heavens and he says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I trust that you are going about to do something here. I believe in what you can do. He trusts. And when we face death with trust... When we face loss with the belief that God is able to do something, it gives us hope. Resurrection means that the worst thing is never the last thing. And so the last step of embracing death is resurrection. And so Jesus stands outside the tomb and he says, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus walked out with his Grave clothes still on. I like to think that when he walked out, he like sort of like popped out. Surprise. <laughs> Something, you know, like, I don't know. But I mean, you think about a moment, right, of like, boy, that's an entrance, right, to be able to do. But he came out of the tomb alive and well, extraordinary stuff. Now, this week, I struggled with my sermon. It should be, like, as a pastor, like, resurrection, like, should be easy to talk about. And sometimes, uh, just like anything, we can put a lot of pressure, or we can think a lot of thoughts, or we can try to make it perfect. But I I left on Thursday, and I didn't feel like, I don't like what I've got. I left on Friday, and I was like, I don't like what I have. I said, well, I thought, well, Lord, you're going to have to do something. But thankfully... On Friday night, we had our Good Friday service, and we embraced the last words of Jesus. And what I see in the last words of Jesus is the same pattern that Jesus embraced the death of Lazarus. He embraced his own death through his last words. So he embraced grace. Do you hear the words he said on the cross? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He, he had words of forgiveness and grace for other people. He said to the prisoner in the scripture we read, today you will be with me in paradise. And he had grace for his family. He looked out to his mom and said, mother, behold your son. And he was giving her away to John. And and John said, he told John, John, behold your mother. He would make sure that he was taking care of others. He embraced the grace and the goodness of life, forgiveness, mercy, care for his loved ones. But then the next words he said were, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He embraced lament. There are so many psalms in our Old Testament that are psalms of lament. Some of them are praise God, but many of them are, God, where in the world are you? What's taken so long? Why are you letting these terrible people say terrible things about me? What is going on? And so in Jesus' last words, he still lamented and cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He embraced his needs. I thirst, he said. I thirst. I have a need. I cannot stay this way. And then he embraced trust. His final words were, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. I surrender. I trust. I give it to you. And it is finished. These same words of relinquishment, it is over. And he trusted that his death wouldn't be the final thing. Because Jesus ultimately embraced resurrection, knowing that he was not done, that he was coming back. Now what's interesting and fascinating to me is that Jesus didn't minimize death. He never said, oh, death isn't important. Instead, he did embrace it. And most of all, he defeated it. He doesn't say, oh, death is no big deal. No, he overcomes it. And in the scripture we had today, it's Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Now, Jesus does not say, I do resurrections. I perform resurrections, I accomplish resurrections, I will be resurrected. No, he says, this is who I am, that I am resurrection and life, and that anywhere I go, dead things will be brought to life. That where I go, the people who are suffering, will be, their suffering will be alleviated. That's why the New Testament is full of healings, because it's a testament to the new life that Jesus breaks out. And he does things that cannot be done by anyone else. Lepers who had just all these terrible sores all over their body, Jesus spoke the words and these sores were healed. New life broke out. He took a normal Sunday, the first day of the week, and he made it extraordinary so that you and I still gather here. He took normal bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body and he made it holy. The blind could see, the deaf could hear. He is alive. Death is defeated. Jesus is alive. Now what's interesting to me as part of the resurrection story is what the disciples did afterwards. When they realized that Jesus had been resurrected, when they realized that he was going to ascend and they realized what was happening. They did not stand around and sing some glad morning when this life is over, I'll fly away. They didn't sing when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. They did not, they were not fixated on what was next, though they knew that what was next was going to be amazing. Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise to the prisoner, that there is this world of paradise. 
But even better than paradise is what the whole purpose of the story is, which is in the end, Jesus is going to resurrect and we will experience the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. We proclaim those words at the beginning of the service. Sometimes you and I, we mumble through those words, but those are extraordinary words. Because what you said this morning is that you believe that what happened to Jesus will happen to you. That we believe in the resurrection of the body. And so that the life and the body that Jesus had after he was resurrected is what we will experience when he makes all things new. When he merges earth and heaven as he promises in Revelation, we will have this new body. Now there are some cool things in scripture about our new body. All right? So cool thing number one that we see with Jesus is that your new body can disappear and reappear. All right? So I don't know what, he- I don't know what like life after death exactly is, but I believe that I'm going to get to disappear and appear. All right? That's going to be pretty cool. Also, Jesus walked through walls, so that's going to be fun. I imagine there's some of us that are just going to be like Lazarus, just walking through walls. Like, woohoo! you didn't see me, did you? I don't know how it works. I don't really care. It's better than you and I can ever imagine. But the point of it was not that we get to walk through walls. The point of it is not that we get to do these cool things. Jesus' disciples were not going around celebrating the one day in heaven. Instead, the point of Jesus' resurrection is not to get us out of here, but to get us going here. When Jesus was resurrected, they didn't stand around and say, woohoo, we wait for one glad morning. No, they said we have work to do because the mission of God is to bring resurrection to every person in every situation, everywhere. That everywhere that Jesus goes, new life is supposed to break out. Everywhere that Jesus goes, everywhere that we go, resurrection is possible. That those Tuesdays, that I mention do not have to be Tuesdays, but they can be resurrection days where Jesus breathes new life into you, new life into your relationships, new life even in the face of death. I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? Now, it was interesting as I was reading and choosing this serve this sermon in the scriptures. At the very end, it says, everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? And I thought that was a strange way to end a scripture text. And I almost just took the creative pastoral liberties and just ended it with, do you believe this? Question mark. But as I thought about it for today, is I am so thankful that Jesus asked the pointed question of an individual because I think it's what matters. Do you believe this? That's the question today. Do you believe this? That he is the resurrection and the life. Lacito, do you believe this? Amen. Amen. Do you believe this? That he has come to resurrect life 
and goodness. And no matter what you've experienced, no matter what loss you've experienced, life is possible. And so what we're going to do is we're going to just, we've been singing this song, Give Me Jesus, throughout our time. We're going to be singing this song, that when I come to die. And it's not just about our final death, but anytime we approach death, we're going to say, Give me Jesus. Thank you for listening to the Mustang UMC podcast. Once again, our services are at 8.30 and 10.50 a.m. every Sunday morning, and we would love to see you there. For more information about the Mustang United Methodist Church, please visit us at mustangumc.org or email us at office at mustangumc.org. That is office at mustangumc.org. We hope you enjoyed.